Well, good morning. Thank you, Pastor Tim. I appreciate it. It is a joy and delight to uh, be here this morning. And uh, Pastor Tim, I can't thank you enough for the uh, opportunity and the invitation. I've uh, enjoyed getting to know you here in the last just several weeks. And uh, since within you, uh, not only a desire and love for God's Word, but a love for His people as well. And so very grateful for you to really mean that. Uh, I'm joined today by my, my wife, Cassie, and uh, I'm, I'm always um, uh, glad when she comes with me because when folks meet her, they often think more of me. And uh, I'm glad she's here today and she's uh, with our three kids, um, Elizabeth, the oldest, Caroline, and then Brennan. And we, as Pastor Tim mentioned, live uh, in northern Indianapolis. And um, we're just grateful to be here. Really mean that. So let's pray this morning and uh, we will get right to work. Will you pray with me? Lord, we ask this morning that your word would be our rule, that your spirit would be our teacher. And Lord, your greater glory would be the primary reason we gather in this place. Even now, even now, and we ask this in your name. All God's people said, amen. Well, Christmas comes to all of us on the same day. It doesn't come to, we don't come to Christmas all in the same way. While Christmas comes to all of us on the same day, we don't all come to Christmas in the same way. Think about that. How do you prepare to celebrate Christmas? For my wife and I, I got to tell you, we, we have different approaches. Uh, for example, myself, I, I know Christmas every year is on December 25th, and so I want to make sure that I got enough time to prepare, so I start getting ready on December 24th, right? Any, any, any last-minute shoppers out there? Cassie's not really altogether that different, though. Um, I prepare on the 24th. Cassie begins preparing on December 26th, right? Just two days apart, but two different Christmases that we're preparing for. So it's no secret that everyone starts their Christmas planning at different times. But we also come to Christmas with different feelings as well. For many of us, Christmas can be overwhelming, right? There's a lot to do from the decorating and the cooking to the, uh, the shopping to the wrapping to the family gatherings. Uh, a lot of us can be overwhelmed, and it, before we know it, kind of our, our ho-ho can kind of turn into a ho-hum. Does that happen to anybody out there? But it's not only the effort which is often overwhelming. Sometimes it's also the emotion. You know, if we're honest, not, not every year do we hang our stockings with cheer. 
sometimes just simply opening these picture-perfect Christmas cards that you get in the mail from family and friends can be enough to bring you to tears. It can be a difficult time of year. So for some of us, it can be overwhelming. But I'd say for others of us, it can also be underwhelming. Because Christmas may seem like many other things in our life. It gets here and comes as quickly as it goes. It passes us by often with just a passing thought. And as a result, we, we don't have much time to prepare for it. For this reason, I, I think it's, it's natural that we want to try to preserve the excitement and the sense of wonder with Christmas. I, I think that is natural to do. But doing so, sometimes Christmas gets out of focus. Christmas becomes primarily about traditions or being with family or being filled with Christmas spirit or good cheer. And while all of those things in and of themselves aren't bad, they, they seem to be lacking something. So you may be asking, okay, well, how then I, should I prepare for Christmas? That's a, that's a good question, and it's one that, that I've asked myself. To answer it, I think we have to start with the fact that Christmas is a celebration. We're celebrating something. And while we often don't think about it like this, celebrations in general are a way to bring us into relationship with others. Celebrations, rather, in general, are a way to bring us into relationship with others. Now, like it or not, you, you may be forced to go to the Christmas uh, party at work. You may be obligated to, to show up at your, your aunt's or your uncle's house once a year. But in this way, celebrations are an opportunity. Depending on how we approach a celebration especially Christmas, it can reveal to us the deeper realities of life. Christmas and the celebration can reveal to us the deeper realities of life. You may be thinking, well, that's a, that's a pretty bold claim. You don't, Patrick, you don't know my aunts and uncles, right? But what I'm talking about is something much deeper. It's been said that celebrations are like the tips of icebergs. They make us aware of a great deal that's under the surface of life. And so as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, I'd like to ask you this morning, what's under the surface of your Christmas celebration? What's under the surface of your celebration? You know, it's been said that uh, there are three different meanings for Christmas. There's the cultural, there's the commercial, and then there's the Christ. And if we're going to have a, a Christmas celebration which reveals to us the deeper realities of life, and might I also add death, 
then we need a celebration that is built on more than the sentimental. We need a celebration that's centered on the Christ. So how do we turn Christmas from a celebration on the calendar to a celebration in the worship of Christ in our hearts? If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to look at two verses, 14 and 15 this morning. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1002. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, and let's look together at why Jesus took on life in a cradle and what impact it has for you and me. Hear these words from God's Word. I'll be reading out of the NIV. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Verse 15, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Once again, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This is the word of the Lord. Now I realize that this is not a passage we typically associate with Christmas. I realize that. But I'm convinced that the writer of Hebrews does. You say, why do you say that? One of the things that that our family enjoys, I'm sure you do as well, at Christmas are the lights, are all the Christmas lights. Now, lights, the function is to reveal to us uh, something that we couldn't see. But lights at Christmas do something even more. They help illuminate. They help bring about to us the beauty of whatever it is they adorn. That's why we decorate our homes with them. We, we string them on our trees. And in this way, lights re- reveal to us the beauty of what we couldn't see before. And that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about seeing something we couldn't see before. That's how the writer of Hebrews begins his sermon in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son. That's how he begins. He's saying that God is revealing or has revealed to us something he hasn't revealed to us before. That through the birth of Jesus, God has brought forth his greatest and final revelation, his son, who in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, is the radiance of God's glory. He is the light of the world. So Christmas is about seeing something we haven't seen before. But Christmas is also about hearing. It's also about hearing. Listen to what that writer says again as he begins his sermon, Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke 
to our forefathers at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. So Christmas is about hearing something as well. That's why we sing, angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. If you'll notice, not only are the angels singing, but the mountains are singing as well. This means that creation is telling us about the glory of God. It always has been, but we haven't been listening. That's the point of Psalm 19. You know this psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth what? Speech. Night after night, they display. Now listen, this is ping pong. I serve it up, you serve it back. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge, right? Creation has always been telling us about the glory of God. But, but the problem is, the problem is we couldn't, we couldn't hear it, right? That is until Jesus was born. And then you know the story. Who appears to the shepherds? The angels, right? And they start singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men. But while angels are good mediators, the go-between between God and, and man, they're not the great mediator. They reveal to us Jesus' birth, and Paul in Galatians 3 and 19 says, even before that in the Old Testament, in some mysterious way, they revealed to us the law, and we might decorate our homes with them, but don't worship them because the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 1 and verse 13, ask the question, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And the answer is none. Because even though we were made a little lower than the angels, Hebrews chapter 2 and 7, none of the, none of the angels, none of the heavenly beings were made like us. That is why Jesus is the great mediator. Hebrews 2 and 17, he was made like us in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. So Christmas is not only about seeing, Christmas is about hearing. It's about hearing the message of Jesus. But there's a problem. There's a problem. The message of Christmas, the message of the gospel has become too familiar too familiar. When I was younger, I was probably five, six years old, I was riding home to church uh, with my family um, one December, and they said, uh, Patrick, how was Sunday school this morning? And I said, it would have been better, but they keep telling that same story every year. <laughs> That's true for many of us, right? That's our danger. The message of Christmas has become too familiar. And so the writer Hebrews says in chapter 2, verse 1, that we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so what? So that we do not drift away. God has spoken to us in his Son, and we would do well to pay more careful attention so that we don't drift away 
into Christmas sentimentality, but we are led into heartfelt worship. So, I believe these verses are about Christmas. But we need to be a little like um, what was said of C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. Peter Kreft said of C.S. Lewis that C.S. Lewis took the familiar, which was the gospel, and he took it out of the familiar, which was the traditional Christian context. And C.S. Lewis put it in the unfamiliar with lions, witches, and wardrobes. And he did that to make it more familiar. He took the familiar out of the familiar, put it in the unfamiliar to make it more familiar. How do we take the familiar this morning and make it more familiar? Well, I believe that it starts by understanding why Jesus took on life in a cradle. Starts by understanding why Jesus took on life in a cradle. That's what we call incarnation. When we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the Word becoming flesh, John 1 and 14. And I have attended, I, I got to tell you this, I, I know we're getting to know each other this morning, right? Now I'm kind of getting going now, but, but, but I just got to be honest with you. I have attended Christmas services for many years. And I have been there when the pastor has stood up and preached. And you would have left not knowing why the birth of Jesus is even worth celebrating. Mm. We have lost the doctrine of the incarnation. Jesus, who is fully God, is also fully man. But why? Why would God do this? On the surface, this is illogical. 100% God and 100% man, you say that math doesn't work. Oh, oh, but it does. When you understand the reason Jesus took on life in a cradle. And these verses tell us why. God is saying in these verses that the reason Jesus took on life in a cradle was so that he could transform death through the cross. Jesus took on life in a cradle so he could transform death through the cross. The incarnation, stay with me, the incarnation only makes sense when you understand that God is revealing to us our problem by first giving to us our solution. He is revealing to us our problem by first giving to us our solution. It's like the game show Jeopardy. Anybody watch Jeopardy? Hinch, right? One person. I don't believe that. Indianapolis is the capital of what state? What, what is Indiana? This school's basketball team should have defeated Indiana State yesterday. What is Ball State University? Some of you didn't watch that game. God has revealed to us our problem by first giving to us our solution. When we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we have to ask why. Why did God come to us? His coming is the solution. What's the problem? We couldn't go to him. Why is Jesus taking on life in a cradle? Why is that a gift to us? That's the solution. So what's the problem? We don't have life 
as I assume. And you are here today, some of you are here today, and you've never trusted in Christ. And you say, Patrick, my heart is beating, and my eyes are blinking, and I am full of life. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says you don't have life. You have death. You are separated from God because the only way that you get life is in God. He's the source of life, being joined to him through union with Christ. And whether you realize it or not, what you have, listen to me, what you have is death in the midst of existence. You are dead. You do not have life as you assume. And as you hear this gospel message this morning, my invitation for you is to believe, to trust in Christ. Make Christmas 2023 your day that you became a new creation. Because it's only when we encounter Jesus that we understand our problem. Paul didn't realize this on the road to Damascus when he was persecuting the church. He didn't know his problem. It was only later, after he first encountered Jesus, that he could look back on his life and say, now I know the problem. I am the chief of sinners. In other words, we have to encounter Jesus first as the solution before we can truly understand ourselves as the problem. Hmm. So that's where these verses begin. They begin with us as the problem. Look at verse 14. Since the children share flesh and blood, that's the problem. God creates Adam. He disobeys. Death enters in. Now listen to me. Man was corrupted. That's the problem. What's the solution? Next part. He too shared in their humanity. Translation, Jesus took on life. Doing so, he lived in perfect obedience to the Father. Not just that we would receive a pardon for sins, but that we would stand in relationship to God in Christ through faith as though we too perfectly obeyed everything the Father had required. That's called justification. Next part, by his death. That's crucifixion. Our corrupted humanity had to be put to death. My sin, not in part, but in the whole, nailed to the cross that I bear it no more. For what purpose? Next part. He might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. A new redeemed humanity was raised to life, rendering death powerless. That's resurrection. What does it accomplish? Next verse. And free us or deliver us so that through faith we might share in that new redeemed humanity Jesus brought up from the grave, that's salvation. And what's the result? Next part, that we would no longer be held in slavery by our fear of death. That's called sonship or adoption. Paul says in Romans 8 and 15 that, we didn't receive a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear, but we received the spirit of adoption. So in these verses, we have creation, 
We have incarnation, we have crucifixion, we have resurrection, we have salvation, and we have adoption. Somebody says, what's Christmas? That's what Christmas is about. Jesus took on life in a cradle so he could transform death through the cross. That's what God is saying in these verses. But if Jesus took on life in a cradle so he could transform death through the cross, then how does he do this? How does he transform death? And what does that mean for you and me? So you have your outlines. Let me give you three truths which change, changes how we prepare for Christmas. Three truths on how Jesus transforms death that changes how we prepare for Christmas. Here's the first. Jesus assumed what needed to be healed, our humanity. He assumed, took it on, what needed to be healed, our humanity. That's the first part of verse 14. One of the issues in the early church was whether uh, Jesus was both fully God and fully human. The Council of Nicaea in 325 affirmed that only God can save. Jesus is fully God. But then the question arose, well, is he also fully human? In other words, we, we know Jesus has a body. We know he eats, we know he sleeps, but is every part of him fully human? Maybe Jesus is just only dressing up in the clothes of humanity. In other words, he's only God in a bod. And it was Gregory of Nazianzus who at the Council of Constantinople in 381 said, absolutely not. And he issued this most important phrase. He said, what is not assumed cannot be healed. What is not assumed cannot be healed. What did he mean? He meant that if Jesus really didn't take on our full humanity, then he really couldn't fully solve our problem. What he means is that if the consequence, hear me, if the consequence of our sin was anything other than death, there would be no need for a birth. If the consequence of our sin was anything other than death, there would be no need for a birth, no need to take on life. But since our problem was death, Jesus needed to take on life. Jesus had to assume what needed to be healed. You can think about it like this. This morning, we drove up on I-69. Love driving on Sunday mornings. No, no traffic out there. But let's say your car breaks down on I-69. And what do you do? You call a tow truck. You've got a broken down car. What's the tow truck come and do? They come and they assume that car. The car's broken. And they take it back into their garage. They repair it. And what do they do? They give it back to you. That's the Christmas story. Our humanity was broken. Jesus comes and assumes what's broken, our humanity. He doesn't sin. He's sinless. But he assumes or he takes on our humanity, which is subject to death. 
And what's he do? He repairs it. How does he repair it? Through his life, his death, his resurrection. And then he gives it back to us to be received through faith. And we together with Christ share in this new redeemed humanity. That's why we are a new creation. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. But he can't heal what he does not assume. He can't heal what he does not assume. And the implication is important for not only how we think about Christmas theologically, but what it means to us as we celebrate Christmas personally. If Jesus willingly assumed our full humanity, then why don't we surrender to him our every anxiety? If Jesus willingly assumed our our full humanity, then why do you and I not surrender to him our every anxiety? And I I don't know what you're harboring in your hearts this Christmas. Bitterness over a bonus, frustration in your marriage, disappointment in your son or daughter. But listen to me. Jesus can't heal what he does not assume. And genuine Christmas celebration happens when we not only understand that he assumed our humanity, but in our hearts we are willing to surrender to him our every anxiety. The message of Christmas can't capture your heart if something else is holding it hostage. Jesus assumed our humanity. Therefore, we must, we can, we will surrender to him our every anxiety. Number two, on your outline, how does he transform death? Jesus destroys death by death, and he abolishes the power of Satan. He destroys death by death and abolishes the power of Satan. Now stay with me. We're going somewhere. Hang with me. You with me? Okay. Satan has never and will never control the power of death. Doesn't control power of death. Instead, in the garden, he used death to gain his control. That's what Paul tells us in Romans 5 and 12. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. The strategy to use death to control us is well-crafted. Because once death enters in, Satan now has a dual threat against us. He has a dual threat. See, on the one hand, we ignore death. And this works well when when the circumstances of our life are going, going well for us. We ignore death. There's no need to contemplate or our mortality. So 
We just simply ignore it and not think about it. That's the one temptation. The other temptation is to fear death. And this usually occurs when the circumstances of life turn on us. And now we're forced to consider our own mortality. And this is when often the fear of death can take a hold. And so Satan uses both these strategies at at different times and in different ways. But through the cross and resurrection, Jesus took these weapons out of his hands. That's because Christ has risen from the dead, trampling down death by death. And as someone has once said, the power of death, which Satan wields against us, is the same power by which he's destroyed. Through the cross and resurrection, Satan has been rendered powerless. Now, I think that's why it's so important that we celebrate Christmas. We are celebrating Jesus taking on life so he could transform death. And evil despises celebration, especially the celebration of Christmas. Because when we celebrate Christmas, what we are celebrating is the fact that evil has no control over us. We are celebrating the fact that evil has no longer any control over us. My work colleague um, just got back from Cuba, went there for 10 days on a humanitarian visa. And I didn't know this, but when he got back, he said that Fidel Castro outlawed the celebration of Christmas in Cuba for almost 30 years. Couldn't celebrate Christmas in Cuba until 1997. Why? They'll tell you it was because of the sugar harvest. But I'll tell you it was because evil can't stand the reason for a Christmas celebration. It means that evil no longer has control. We mentioned the Chronicles of Narnia with C.S. Lewis. You might be familiar with it. That's why in the Chronicles of Narnia, the white witch of Narnia did all she could to ensure that it was always winter and that Christmas was never celebrated. Evil always wants to destroy the conditions for a Christmas celebration. But the good news is they can't. Because when you understand that Jesus destroys death by death, then you may be able to stop the celebration of Christmas in the law. But you can't put a stop to the celebration of Christmas in the heart. Jesus destroys death by his death, abolishing the power of Satan. That's the second half of verse 14. Well, here's number three. comes from verse 15. I got I to ask you to put your thinking caps on for this. Because this, this is pretty incredible, how Jesus transforms death. Number three, Jesus changed the use of death. He changed the use of death. It's no longer an instrument to, of fear to enslave us but the means to life to free us. No longer an instrument of fear to enslave us, but the means of life to free us. My thinking has been impacted by 
an early church theologian, John Baer, patristic scholar, helped me think through this. Profound for me, this, this particular verse. You know, at Christmas, we can celebrate Christ's life because he's conquered death. But the reality is that unless Christ first returns, all of us are going to die. You agree with that? 100% chance, unless Christ returns. But the good news of the gospel is that death is conquered, but not in the sense that is immediately eradicated. Death is conquered, but not in the sense that it is immediately eradicated. Jesus conquers death by turning it inside out. What do I mean? Well, death is the great leveler for all of us. Right? Think about this. We come into the world by no choice decision of our own. Right? We just, we just are born. We just show up. And then from the moment we are born... We are in some way passive victims awaiting our own death. And so mortality is the one thing that we all share in common. And so what do we do? Well, we try to, we try to hold on to our life, right? We go to the gym, we work out, we run, we, we run the miles, right? We, we build up the 401k, right? We nip and tuck and we... We try to, try to keep everything in place and looking good. We do whatever we can to secure and hold on to our life. And that's what puts us in lifelong slavery. Because the gospel turns this upside down. It says the, the, the early church father Maximum said, Jesus changed the use of our death. And here's what he means. He means that when we trust in Christ, what we are doing is we are willingly dying to ourselves. In other words, we are, we are voluntarily accepting our own mortality. Voluntarily accepting our own mortality. And then we are using this mortality and we are trading it in for life. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew, right? For whoever wants to, wants, wants, wants to uh, save their life will lose it. And whoever uh, loses their life will, will find it. And when we do this, we are, we are no longer passive victims held in slavery by fear. But what we are doing is that we are actively using our mortality to enter into life. And this is how Jesus frees us from our fear of death. Through the gospel, death is not immediately eradicated, but Jesus changes the use of our death. We are willingly laying down our lives so that death is no longer a means to an end. Death becomes the means to life. And when this happens in us through the work of the Spirit, we have nothing to fear. Why? Because we are willingly entering into a life 
which cannot be touched by death. We are willingly entering into a life which cannot be touched by death. And so we don't live in fear. We live in freedom. Jesus used death to bring life. And we can use our own mortality too because he willingly laid down his life for us. We can willingly lay down our lives in sacrificial love and service to others. So the question is, if Jesus has transformed our death, how are we using our mortality? Are, are we trying to hold on to it, or are we willingly laying down our lives? When we do, we, the grounds of our existence changes from fear to freedom and love and sacrificial service to others. This is not suicide. This is dying to yourself so that you may truly live. Jesus changed the use of death. It's no longer an instrument of fear to enslave us, but it's the means to life to free us. Christmas, we don't normally associate life and death together. But if you'll allow it, the Christmas celebration and reveal to you the deeper realities of life. Because when you experience the truth of why the Savior came to take on life in a cradle, then something can happen inside of you. Christmas goes from the motions of celebration on the outside to the emotions of celebration on the inside. So my question for you this morning is, are you ready to celebrate Christmas? Because if we're going to turn Christmas from a date on the calendar to the worship of Christ in our hearts, we have to ask God to help us to be captured by the deeper realities of what Christmas means. Christmas is about the celebration of Jesus. Jesus took on life in a cradle so he could transform death through the cross. And as you exchange gifts this Christmas, there is a gift that you don't even know you need until you received. And then when you receive it, you realize that it is the gift that your heart most desired and most always treasured. And that gift won't be wrapped lying under the tree. That gift was given to us wrapped lying in a manger. That gift is the birth of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. So this Christmas, Let's worship him together. You pray with me.
Father, we ask that this morning that you would take the deeper realities of you coming to earth and taking on flesh to change our hearts and our minds to see the beauty of who you are. This Christmas, we ask for one thing. Give us Christ. You took on life in a cradle so you could transform death through the cross. We thank you and we worship you this morning. And all God's people said,